Welcome to the T-Hood Podcast. I'm Leland Steele. And I'm Moby. How are you doing today, Leland? Good, man. It's uh, summer again. It's hot as fuck out. It's hot as fuck. It's 4 p.m. in the afternoon on a Saturday. Uh, not a cloud in the sky. And uh, we've shut the blinds and we're hiding out in your den. Yeah. We've got <laughs> blankets and soundproof all over the place. Absolutely. It makes it a lot hotter in here, I think. <laughs> it, well, especially with uh, with you here. It's, it's a lot hotter. You know what? I was out... Uh, kind of walking around earlier today and really you got it back yeah i did actually the sunlight <laughs> did touch my skin wow, i did amazing. get a little bit of vitamin d uh, everyone needs a little d yeah and i was just thinking back and remembering on those old starting days uh yeah you remember that very first summer that we I, started i do two years ago now you're right we started right at the cusp of summer yeah and it was always hot days like it was this so high yeah and I remember you you would keep a fan blowing. Um, yeah, on we would us. try. Yeah. We would try. <laughs> we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. We had these little plastic mics, and yeah. it sounded like crap. I was like, yeah, guys, we, we got a podcast. Yeah, how about you? <laughs> so did. how about Terminator? Matt Smith. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was reminiscing. Oh, it's cool. Well, so is this now, by the time we hit the summer, this is two years. Yeah, I think you know? uh, the beginning of August will be two years. Wow. Yeah. That's cray cray. Well, we're almost at episode 40 as well. Yeah, and I'm thinking for episode 40, we should do something different for a change, like put in what? effort. <laughs> what? <laughs> effort. effort. The E word. Ain't nobody had time for that. I know. <laughs> you don't want any of this, do it. <laughs> you don't want any of this effort. Um, well, 39 is a meaningless number, and so this is a meaningless You're right. episode. You're right. So, I mean, tech, I mean, really, so is 40. Uh, Maybe meaningless, but they're all arbitrary. That, that's right. <laughs> now we sound like episode one again. I don't know how to reply to that. <laughs> well, but, I'll keep talking like, I do. <laughs> like you always do. I'll keep, I'll dance a jig. Uh, let's dive into banter segment, which I'm looking on your notes. You have absolutely nothing, but no. Oh. No, uh, not really. Um, there's, uh, I was just thinking of the, uh, it's been a couple scammy Kickstarters <laughs> lately. Oh yeah, you told us <laughs> For about a Game that. of Thrones card game. Uh, it's like, it's so ridiculous. I don't know, I don't think the second one is still up anymore. But clearly some guy took some, you know, stock photos and like wrote up a really, really poor rule set clearly like something the guy hammered out in 30 seconds and threw up on it didn't he say didn't you tell us that he said part of the kickstarter was to get the rights yes he didn't even have and the in right. the description it was uh with the money yeah part of the money was going to go towards rights and renting warehouse space so we can start producing it and renting printers so we can start printing our like it was <laughs> it's like the mo- there is no game. The money is just to I don't know. Then he ran away with it, right? Didn't you say? Um, well, so in the in the in the first campaign, um, the the pledge total I think he only wanted like twenty five G's or something was was the goal, right? And it's like it's the total was like spiking up and down by like thousands of dollars, and at one point, people were like calculating the totals from the number of pledges and there was nowhere near what the actual total pledged showed on the screen 
Oh. Like, like I don't know how they did that or, or, or if they, like, go in and then the creator, like, pledges, like, a, a bunch of extra money to boost the number. And then, mm. I don't know. And <laughs> So, I had seen on Twitter that a few people had reported it to Kickstarter. Mm. And the initial response from Kickstarter was that they weren't violating any other terms of services, so they weren't going to do anything about it. Hmm. So, I don't know if they eventually finally, I think they suspended it. And then there was a second... A second Kickstarter for a Game of Thrones card game, a slightly different title, and in its own description was like, has someone tried to do this game before? Yes, but that wasn't us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You sent us a screenshot of that. It was the most sketchy thing ever. so bad. Like, my skin crawled with buggies just reading it. So funny. And, like, even um, if the – so I think that page at that time, I had seen that screenshot, like, the project was suspended. Right. So, I don't know if the I don't know what happens when you suspend a page. Does the page totally get removed, or does Kickstarter just like completely remove it? Because like the comment sections on both of those projects were really fucking funny to go, <laughs> and people were just like, oh, there's like one account that's called like it was like something like Game of Thrones card gamer, <laughs> like like, like, a- like literally the title of the project with an er on the end. <laughs> gamer. Was he like, do you think he was like a placement? And he's like, this is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. 100%, 100%. And um, actually, listener Riley had sent me sent me a, a, a tweet from Fantasy Flight, who has the rights to Game of Thrones stuff. And someone had, you know, added them on Twitter and been like, hey, what's going on? Like, their rights infringement. And all their response was like, you know, one of Daenerys's dragons like breathing fire on something, and they're like, "Yes, we'll we'll take care of them." <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. That's an awesome response. It's pretty funny. That's pretty uh, funny. But you know, I, I guess we've delved into it deeply before. But um, I mean, I am scared shitless of backing most things on Kickstarter now. Yeah, I like don't do, sorry, I, don't, I just don't do it anymore. Yeah, I don't know. Well, and then and the and the troubling thing was like literally in the in those comments amidst all the people that clearly know this guy is full of shit um i think at first a lot of people were like oh is this like a like a troll project because there have been a few of those uh-huh. uh, there was a cards against a humanity troll project that literally they were touting it as it was 17 card deck that said there's like or something like something uh like the card literally literally said like something dirty and offensive <laughs> like there's like 17 like little like <laughs> so like there have been like uh, some recent like joke projects that have been gaining traction and like going viral basically right so people are like huh, is that what this is uh i don't know so but like they're in the comments there's people like literally saying you know i'm i've i've just started getting into these types of games and i've never used kickstarter before this game looks really cool uh. like seeming like legitimate people that don't know better because they've never they haven't been in the kickstarter world for lack of a better term yeah and like they're the prime target for these scams it's ridiculous i know i want to go to them i want to be like kid this is like the back alleys in new york get the fuck out of here <laughs> <laughs> you know and i don't know what i don't i don't know what uh kickstarter's terms of service uh looks like or reads as and I don't know what they can really do to enforce it. Mm. So because like there's there's lots of people with like trying to create like IPs, uh, trying to get games and, and mm-hmm. other materials you uh, based on popular IPs. But 
if literally if actually some of those funds they're expecting and have set up kind of this agreement to be able to use a license and like basically how how does Kickstarter determine that? What what does Kickstarter do? I, I don't really know if they can do anything about it. I mean, they would have to come up with some weird weirdly specific rules like you know you must prove that you to us that you have this uh you know ip right before you kickstart or something like that i mean i guess the idiom i would use is this is above our pay grade meaning <laughs> you know this is something for kickstarter to figure out but and i don't have the answers for them and neither do you but it it is something that they need to figure out i just sense like an impending slowdown or collapse with for their model at least partially within a few years unless they figure this stuff out nobody can survive this amount of bad press or losing a few hundred dollars here and there for hundreds or thousands of customers i mean they've got some major issues yeah but i don't know so i, I guess the issues stick out more than the success stories obviously yeah. like in anything the negativity kind of rises to the top Mm. so i don't i don't know i don't know if there is a kickstarter problem really but for me i don't enjoy it anymore i just don't fall into it i think if something is popular enough i'm gonna be able to get it in retail yeah yeah absolutely And quite frankly i i would like to support uh retailers too i guess mind you though like how much i guess in indirectly you're obviously supporting the publishers when you buy from retail right but mm-hmm. really you're supporting the retailer yeah right like yeah there's the trickle down as i mean that's how economics work but like yeah. the, the retailer is supporting the publisher but then you support the retailer well then you're kind of supporting both yeah i, I mean and the thing is like we like board game stores we like going to game stores yeah. seeing people play games browsing games and i mean yeah sure you might pay 10 or 20 bucks more to get the game but you have it. It's right there in your hands. You know you're going to get the game <laughs> right. because you're holding it. Yeah. Instead of just having your money piss away after a year and a half. And you know what? I find it so funny though, and and basically the culture of Kickstarter being almost anti-consumer culture <laughs> because of the delayed gratification. Everyone wants the instant gratification. Right. And it's interesting how, like, I see countless tweets of people and like. You know what? I've been waiting, you know, for a year for this Kickstarter and like I'm not excited for it anymore to show up. So like how do I with so much new shit all the time in this hobby, how do you maintain your excitement for a project that you looked at a year, maybe a year and a half ago and and you know, I'm now just getting in the mail. Yeah, it's really difficult. It is it's difficult. really difficult. Yeah. So, you know, let's go back to, let let's enjoy this golden age by again supporting retailers. You know, if we do that, there'll be more outlets um you know a good culture growing there i mean that's what i miss about the lack of movie stores was just talking to staff that had a passion for movies having them show me around and and stuff like that i miss that atmosphere Mm. and i think you can get and grow that atmosphere in the board gaming community i mean i think it's there i think it's growing but i think if a strike back against kickstarter would probably improve that even more yeah my banter i got a couple small things um one's kind of more just interest so i'll say that there was a report by variety that came out they did a a pretty big um survey on video game behavior in adults and they found out that way more adults are playing video games regularly which is like at least a couple times per week amongst the american population i actually found out that it was 
75% of American households have at least one regular gamer. So Mm. like, you know, whether you're single and have a household, husband and wife, whatever, if one person games regularly. Um, They also found that women are more prolific gamers than they thought, like well over half of women game, but they're strongly skewed to mobile gaming, whether it's like complicated games or simple games, strongly skewed to mobile gaming. Where men are skewed to console and PC, which I guess makes sense when you think about it. Uh, yeah, that's sense. interesting. What's the age range that they consider adult? Is that uh, they actually went from eighteen all the way through Generation X? So oh, Generation okay. X, I think, is yeah, I know it started at thirty-five. They said, and I think it ends at like fifty or something mm-hmm. like that. Okay. That makes sense, though, because we had heard years ago that the average age of a gamer was something like 32, and so now those gamers would be late 40s or 50. Right, right. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting to see how much video games have uh, proliferated. Certainly, we know Ghost Marty probably counts as three households with the amount of gaming that he does. <laughs> <laughs> so, Well, I don't know how much he's getting in these days, but... Yeah, yeah. not much these days, no. but back in the day, it'd be like, yeah, I'm having another 12-hour gaming session. Yeah. Great, Marty. Yeah, I know. Man, I... I honestly haven't played any video games in a while. You and me are becoming more, well, we're both heavily into YouTube yeah, and shows. Like even I'm just getting more into shows. Like I bought fucking HBO. I had to buy the movie set too, just so I could see Chernobyl, but, <laughs> which is good. But I'm now, the what I thought is they were actually going to drop all 10 episodes at once. I could watch them all easily within a month and then cancel, but oh. they're dropping one a week. I didn't you. know. They got you. So, so now it's so going to be like get, two, three months. They'll get three months. months yeah, like. I'll still pay it and see if there's other stuff on there, but that sucks. Um, so that was one of them. The other one is under the category of unnecessary. All right. Uh, Chad Stileski, who is the director of John Wick 3, but okay. he was also Keanu Reeves' stunt double for the Matrix series, oh, cool. has revealed that Larry and I, I guess it's Lana and... Andy, but I think he transitioned oh, as well. The Wachowskis. Yeah. They're making a fourth Matrix movie. What? Yes. Not, probably not with the original cast, okay. but uh, Chad Stileski confirms it's under production and that it's going to like expand the universe. Wow. And I just think that's. I that's like, unnecessary. That is unnecessary. The Matrix <laughs> is done. Like, it is done. The new sun literally rose yeah. at the end of that movie. Yeah. Wow. So. Wow. I just why how I don't I don't understand how these projects get revived. You know what my guess is? I think that uh, Larry, whatever the Wachowskis, yeah. that recently they haven't exactly had grand slams in the last decade or so yeah. with their projects. I mean, I love Cloud Atlas, but not many people did. So. Yeah, that was a bomb at the box office. Yeah, and there was that one where um, Channing Tatum was like a dog. Guardian bodyguard alien. Or oh something. yeah, with uh, Mila Kunis. Mila Kunis. Yeah, yeah that one didn't do that well. Not, no. So I think this is a case of them trying to revive their career because a fourth Matrix is going to be a box office hit. I mean, uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, it's going to make money for sure. Uh, you know, it's like in a sense I understand it when artists go back to this well, but on the other hand, it's as you say, it's so unnecessary. It really is. I mean, when when did uh, revolutions come, end up? Two thousand three. Wow. I know. Wow. Okay. So, so it's going to be 20 years. Yeah. It's going to be 20 years since the end. So, okay. So when, when the Matrix came out in 99, who, like, at the, at that time, like, people our age was its target audience? 
I think it was a little bit older. I think really. Well, remember we were teenagers. Right? No, no, people. I mean, our age now. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, yes, I would agree yeah. with that for sure. So now we're talking when now we're still in the and the back end of Gen X. That's that, right. That would be the fan base for this movie. I mean, the original fan base, maybe. I, I don't know. You know, but you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I do think like I think the movie's unnecessary, but I think they're going to release it at a good time to have lots of people go. Right. I mean, the Gen Xers are still below fifty. They're they like movies. Um, we're in our 30s now. We're probably going to still go see it. We were Matrix fans. I don't think that the target audience is going to be much younger than us. You know, yeah. I think maybe five years or so. Hmm. But, you know, honestly, though, I would have to see a pretty good trailer to, like, go see it opening night or something. Or even see it in theaters at all. I mean, I know we are, we're yeah. down on the theater experience. Um, and we've mentioned that numerous times before. Yeah, that's I hate true. going to the theater. So I I don't know I'd have to see a pretty interesting trailer to go see this mm-hmm. to go go to a movie theater and see it but I don't know what what what's left to explore I mean like we're gonna get okay so okay let's see some predictions then off the cuff predictions then so it's gonna be like ridiculously fantastical then right they're gonna take they're either they're gonna take like all the stuff outside of the matrix to some like crazy you know like cyberdyne bullshit like all these we're gonna see some funky robots I bet. Yeah. Um, and and then and what else? I I don't know. You know are, are they are they going to have like the Matrix actually being something like futuristic? Like that's is that what they're going to transition to? Like are they going to stick with the lore from the trilogy? Like what the fuck is I, going I don't on? know. <laughs> I don't know. The only thing that makes sense to me and it's still unnecessary is like a direct prequel of how the war actually occurred, but before okay. the Matrix okay. was created. I can I can see that. But that kind of defeats the purpose yeah, of the matrix not because the, the yeah, matrix yeah, yeah. would only be activated at the end there'd be the whole right. war with the robots it would be it would be like zion colon the matrix yeah <laughs> or something yeah like that, exactly right? <laughs> it's like you know the matrix without the matrix right of course that makes so much sense i don't know where else they could go i mean if you did a story in the middle while well, the matrix was still functional it's kind of like been there done that like would i like to see a story of a one that failed because, you know, they mentioned there's a bunch of ones before right. Neo. No. Do I think there's something... Right, because ultimately that failure is him choosing to go to the other door. Yeah. Like once he hits the architect, right? Like yeah. That's so literally I... the point of failure sure. that they've built into their lore. And anything else would be a retcon, which right. annoys us. Yes, I don't you, like that. You could do a story about the future of the Matrix, but like... Do I want to see a Matrix where pe- people were free and then the robots try to enslave them again? That's just like a soft reboot. That's like... Right. So, you know... Yeah, what? see, and then that's no longer a Matrix. Well, okay, what genre... Like, Matrix is like sci-fi. I, yeah, I would consider it you sci-fi. Would, say, would you say it's sci-fi or would it be more action sci-fi? You know, I really would go sci-fi. Uh, well, for the first one, it's definitely sci-fi. It's a sci-fi. kung fu movie, though. Yeah, but and I would agree with that for the Reloaded and Revolutions, yeah. for sure. I, I do think the first one was meant more as a sci-fi, okay. though. Okay, yeah, because we had we still had the mystery and then the the, the the allure of the Matrix itself and the, you know, the... Well, and a lot of the action was more towards the end. I mean, yeah, Neo and Morpheus true. had the training fight, which was cool, but a lot of the action was backloaded. Hmm. You know what? The more I think about it, the more weirdly annoyed I get with it. Yeah, I, ah, it's like I, so. <laughs> I look at all these potential story threads, and I'm like, no, yeah. no, why? why, why, why? What the fuck? What? What the fuck? It doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. But 
So we'll see where that goes. I'm but confused. Um, I'm confused already. I, I don't know. But uh, as far as no, why does this exist? Let's move on to condescending controversy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Leland thinks I'm teeing him up on this I, one. I don't know. I don't know it, what kind of argument you're going to make for this one, buddy. <laughs> well, what I'm going to try to make, so listener, for this this month's condescending controversy. I believe that DMs, and I, I guess I'm mostly speaking about Dungeons and Dragons here, but there also was, uh, oh, I should have got the name of it. There there was that similar D&D game that I bought, that board game. I think you might still have it somewhere else. It's lost. Oh, the one Descent. The Descent, yeah. Okay. But I thought you were going to go there, but we'll get to it. So please continue. Yeah, so Descent. So it's really based off those two games, listener. Um, I just don't have anything else to go off of. Um, but certainly I was a DM in Dungeons and Dragons and I played under other DMs, several of them. Right. And I predominantly fourth edition, right? Predominant well, you know what? Yeah, yeah, predominantly fourth, but we had a number of fifth edition attempts. <laughs> yeah, like you you and I, but I mean like yeah. you and, and these other groups that right. I had nothing that to do is with. True. That is true. That is true. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah, okay. And and so a lot of my arguments go there. So it's okay. it's nothing really personal. That'll be interesting. But my premise here is that the DM is overpowered. And is essentially broken for some reasons I'd like to bring up. So I think since I'm the prosecutor in this case, I should kind of go first with a few things. Okay. So where I want to start with is that, you know, if you're a player in one of these games, you're bound by a lot of rules of what you can and can't do. And the dungeon master is supposed to be basically some kind of, it's so vague. It's like, he's like a computer in a way, but like running the game and it's just like the main charge of a dungeon master is supposed to make an enjoyable game for the players somehow. But the issue is, is that while the players are very restricted, the DM has an insane amount of power, godlike power. And that, well, some dungeon masters are good. I've had some dungeon masters that really want to railroad people. And that was in particular my fourth edition group, which you're you're bringing up okay. with listener Dan, where anytime you tried to stray, the dungeon master would put up a wall of, I mean, sometimes a literal wall, yeah. but sometimes just like conjure something. Okay. And, you know, like a magical force field that we couldn't overwhelm. And I remember there were times where like, you know, there was a huge gap and we tried to throw a rope bridge across it and scored a critical hit. So he had to let us do it. And then he just, on the other side, we had a time where he like populated it like as an, on an emergency basis with like really strong characters that were enemies that were like four levels above us so they could beat the shit out of us and force a retreat or death. I remember I think one character for sure died in this battle. And, you know, but again, that's because there's so much randomness to a DM and the game does not, I guess where my st- premise comes down to is these games do not have enough rules and restrictions and guidelines for a dungeon master. So, so that's my okay. opening argument. So your, your, the problem that you posit stems from the game system enabling the dungeon master too much to be able to abuse it. Yes, okay. and not so, having enough and guidelines. And that is where you were saying the intrinsic flaw of said system comes in. Absolutely. Okay. So, okay. Um, boy. Yeah, I I completely disagree. Okay. Well, okay. Let's see. I I I disagree with the concept of this, and I and I think it's ridiculous. I think that 
you know, having a shitty DM can, yeah, ruin a game because the DM is the facilitator. And I agree with that. And there are plenty of other RPGs that you can play without a a game master or a dungeon master. Like Fiasco is one of our favorites, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, as far as like Descent, now that game is different, I think, is excluded from this argument because it's strictly a dungeon crawl. And that one literally is one versus many. That's what it's touted as. Whereas I think in a typical RPG, you're, the, the Game Master isn't supposed to be antagonistic. Mm. And I think there are still, yeah, I guess the DM doesn't really abide by rules it's like a player does. I don't know. I just, yeah, railroading, but so you think it's unbalanced because the DM just does whatever they want. Yes. So you think it's it's unbalanced for the players. It it is. Now, I have not had a DM that did this, but a hypothetical situation is a DM gets pissed off with a certain character, a group of characters going off on the wrong path. The DM could say, oh, you suddenly hit, you know, you weren't checking for anything. You didn't roll a perception check. Oh, by the way, you just stepped into a thousand foot hole that was invisible. You know, what What do you do? And it's like, now I, I haven't known a DM who could do that, but just that they have the possibility to railroad or fuck with the players like that, they do have that power. They do have that power. It would make them a shitty DM. Yeah. But my whole point <laughs> is that the game, but the, the whole point is that the game doesn't provide enough structure uh, for a DM to... To, to be forced to facilitate properly. Like, I'm sure you're a great DM. I've had you for a little bit. Um, you allowed the party to split up on Marty's stag, uh, which was fun for like seven hours. Like, you, you're someone who goes with the flow and does the best you, that you can. But it's like the Wild West out there. Like, really, it's so random. And I don't want to mention any names, but I, I know of a guy who tried to dm and uh, another friend who you're you're well acquainted with and i know he had a lot of troubles with it Hmm. because he wasn't creative and he did try to railroad and his players got pissed off at him and he told me that and uh you know i but again the rules allow then continue to be to run the game yes he did and he continued to railroad and the players continued to complain they did, yes. I know they complained okay. over a period of months. I have not spoken to him in a few months about it. So the players did nothing to adjust it themselves then? No, because they they complained, but at the end of the day, he was the DM. And again, this falls back on the lack of structure for him. He just was not able to adapt around the players, which okay. is what I think a good DM has to do. So then he was just a shitty DM. Right. So what type of rule sets could be implemented to give a dm that power or like to to because in that case he was his inability to free free ball it was what his downfall was and the lack of guidelines uh, contribute to that clearly for him because he you know it probably would have worked better for him to have a set of okay if this happens uh, okay here's some tips and maybe something i can try to employ right what could you possibly what could come in a rule set that would enable this uh, uh, a tabletop role playing game that in in any tabletop role playing game it's it's up in the air. Mm-hmm. So you so then you're saying this whole genre of games has this problem. Yes, when it, when it's as vague as this. And so what I thought is okay in the rule book for a DM and the DM guide, it would have to say that if the players go off track and you have nothing prepared for them, 
then you've got like these three options. And one is that, you know, you must at all times have a small mini dungeon for them to stumble into. Uh, You must be able to adjust what is in your mind, your own map to have the next town. Maybe the next town goes from east to west because that's the way that the players have decided to go. So that will keep your campaign going. But that the DM has to choose from these two or three options. They can't choose, well, you know, they just hit a cliff or they hit a tunnel that goes 180 degrees and brings them back directly to the path where you wanted them to go. Like it, it, <laughs> Okay. It, but you know how ridiculous that sounds. Like in in this in this that that destroys the spirit of this game and the collaborative storytelling that the players and the game master are supposed to be forming together. Yes. It they you're but, right. And you know how ma- how many random encounter tables that is fifth edition in particular and of course I'm only going to be really referring to fifth edition. It's the only edition I've ever game mastered for right but you know the insane amount of supplements and random tables that are provided from wizards themselves let alone the communities generating and publishing their own stuff like there's a lot of shit out there that yeah that's those are basically the guidelines you're 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 laying out like they're there they're there if the dm wants them see my i'm just going one baby step further where i'm saying that these have to be encoded they have to be written that a dm must do this that a dm can't can't basically be a dick like there should be a rule that says you cannot make it so that characters can fall into a trap where they had zero chance of figuring it out that it was there Mm, and see this is where you you have to look outside of the rule set and it's the onus is on the players the onus is of the other people at the table if you were playing any type of board game where you had one one player acting like a dick and you know doing all these things within the game yes they would still need to be within the specific rule set for that game but it's still a guy at a table being obnoxious where the what does the rest of the table do the rest of the tables need got to do something they should really just not play with that dude or this in this yeah. in your instance like that person just should not be the run of the game yeah or alternatively they could pick up a campaign module, a pre-written module. Maybe that would serve them better. And then if everyone understands at the table, like, yeah, th- like we're playing this module, so it's going to be – again, I've never played one of these modules. And depending on how well written the module is, like, everyone at the table just has to know, like, yeah, this is kind of like this, the route that we're playing because it's it's all in the book. we got to follow this book. So I think there are some outside parameters that apply specifically to these types of games and – yeah, it's not in it's not in the book. It doesn't say, okay, chapter one, hmm, make sure all your players know the type of game you want to run, which actually is in the Dungeon Master's Guide for 5th edition. And I'm just asking for more of that. I'm just asking for more of that and for a little bit more clarification. You're right. No one should be able to play with that dick troll player. But I think what the onus is, is outside of the game, is for the players to just say, hey, man, we don't want you to be part of this thing anymore. Right. Um, but I think that on the DM's end, it's his or her job to basically stall until the end of that session where it's clear you have a an uncooperative player. And uh, <laughs> well, okay, so if those problems stem from an uncooperative player, then the same thing applies to that uncooperative player. The rest of the table has to be like, man, you're ruining this experience for everybody because your poor play tactics are influencing the dungeon master, which is then reverberating back onto the rest of the table. Like that's all like I don't know how that can be confined to a rule set. For any type of game. <laughs> and this is this is where I knew when I wrote my notes that I'd probably have to see that you would win this one. Is that <laughs> I, you know, I wish I could have come with a manuscript of like, these are my 
example rules that need to be encoded in the Dungeon Master yeah. Guide that will fix this well, problem. If, if you could do that, then you'd probably have a different career. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. I, I would have revolutionized the whole concept of the Dungeon Master. Um, so so then the, the, these problems for you then ruin like playing Dungeons & Dragons. You just don't like playing. They did. Yes, they did in my other scenario. Now, some of it does not lay on the DM. So like the longest group I played with with listener Dan, we had a very uncooperative player, a uh, guy okay. named Rob. And, um, you know, he was basically just trolling everything all the time. And nobody was willing to kick him out, which again really isn't the DM's fault. But the DM really worked around him to the so, detriment of the group. Okay, so... He was so the DM didn't take out any retribution on that player. It That's ended correct. up affecting the rest of the day. That's correct. Because see, that is the time where I would have been like, "All right, you 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 fall off a thousand foot cliff." Exactly. Fuck and you. fuck you, Rob. You know, fuck and, you. And maybe what I'm asking for is not so much that that behavior doesn't happen, but that it's codified. It's like when you have an unruly player, here are your options. Again, this more structure. The structure would like, help. That's social. That's like social. That's like social cues, and, and like a, it's like a criteria to how to be a proper person. Sure, and some D, some DMs <laughs> you put that into any, but, but some DMs can really flourish under that. And I think yeah. you're one, and I think I'm potentially one as well. I actually am going to slag myself in a moment here, but this other <laughs> DM uh, was not, and I think this okay. other DM uh, uh, listener Dan's big brother could have used some more guidelines okay. on how to deal with this situation and these trolls. Another guideline I would have liked to see is that, you know, out of every three encounters, one must be a social encounter because this other DM was very, very combat heavy and just continued to throw us into combat over and over and over. And the game was not fun for me that way because I, I play to act. Right. And uh, yeah, okay. I didn't like and that. I, and again, that's like, that's like making sure your players understand the type of games that you like to run, I think, too. Right. Yeah. Well, because what if, what if, would you prefer then like to have a garbage social encounter as opposed to no, like if it was just like, oh, okay, he's doing this because I asked him and I'm like, you know what, I, I enjoy this kind of thing and your dungeon master is accommodating, but then like they end up like falling flat on their face and you're like, mm, this is not fun either what you what's know what worse? what's worse than that honestly situation? i my mind would make it fun like okay. if we fell flat i would laugh at myself and enjoy it and the bad roles and how the bad okay. the social encounter so went. now do you not enjoy the con you don't en the, your problem with the combat is not that the combat isn't enjoyable for you it was just like it was too much it was it. too much it so was it wasn't basically like was strung running poor or unbalanced or favored way to one end or the other as opposed to players versus monsters, it was just like it's just too much. yes, that's yeah. correct. His okay. his encounters were generally fair. There were a few, but that can be expected where it was a little bit too hard or too easy. Sure, sure. But it was overall that his campaign was just you know go to A, fight B, travel to C, fight D, and that's all it was. Okay, the whole campaign. Yeah, I can see that. And so it, it was frustrating that there were no guidelines. Well, you may as well be him. playing a game like Descent then in that sure. instance, honestly. Honestly. Yeah. It was funny because when we played Descent, we haven't played it much. I think we only ever played two games. Yeah, not It felt much. like I was playing his campaign right. again. Right. Enter room. Fight. Well, that's because you're Enter literally, I mean, you're taking a, a huge, expansive system and then like piecemealing stuff out of it. It's the same right. with Fiasco is on the other side. That's all fiasco is, is this, you know, social, quote unquote, social encounter. Right. And yeah, that's obviously much more collaborative, but 
that's that's what they do. I mean, they're just pulling these parts out of it. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that um, so I mean, I would have liked to have more guidelines that you know you have to have a social encounter. You know, let's say like one out of three encounters has to be social. Uh, another thing this DM was really poor with was giving treasure. And I think even I didn't give enough in my my time when I was DMing. But that's actually a flaw I found in virtually every, honestly, D&D game I played, including yeah. yours, is I felt like there wasn't enough treasure to get ahead, to really feel like I'm accomplishing and I'm filling my bags with money and I'm starting to, like, okay. be a hero. And hey, Well, hey, if that's, like, the... The character traits of your of your your the character that you're you're built and like that's their interest then i could see how you feel that way but it's something like i feel video games get well more often than not like you know if you're playing a role-playing game and you enter a room or you know fight through a certain dungeon that the game creators make sure there's enough treasure there to make it worthwhile for you yeah and i feel like so dungeon how do you gain treasure from social encounters I think what you would do is you would have a guideline like, you know, for for level six to ten social encounters uh, at the successful conclusion, the DM rolls a D10 and one of these things happen. You know, you get handed a a small treasure, you get handed a certain sum of money, you get handed a tradable commodity, um, you get given some sort of like non-quantifiable thing like a baron gives you a word that you'll you have free reign of the town or something like that like you're forced to give something for successful encounters and maybe that could be like every two or three successful social encounters back to back you get a reward and then the dm must make a way to give a reward Hmm. see to me that still sounds like you're playing a dungeon call maybe maybe secretly that's what i want Dungeons and Dragons to be more is like a dungeon well, crawl you, with social encounters. You do like 4E, and 4E is basically playing a MMORPG at that point. Yeah. Yeah, you're kind of revealing that for me. I'll see if I have any other points here. I'm just going to my notes, but um, no, that's that's really it. And so, like I said, I guess I was, I don't know, listener, do you, do you figure I made enough good points that the DM concept needs a lot of work? Or do you agree with Leland that the status quo is still pretty yeah, good? Yeah, I think you're insane. <laughs> I think that's a little bit of a stretch to say I'm insane. Think, I th- <laughs> Have I not brought up any good points? No, so yes, you brought up like points that exist, but I just don't see them as, as problems. I see them as people problems hmm. rather than problems with the game. And maybe I'm biased. Well, you know what? I mean... I'm actually happy with how this conversation went. I feel like you got your side out pretty good and I got my side out pretty good. And I think at the end of the day, the goal of condescending controversy is for listener to make up his or her own mind on the topic. And I think we got that out there. You know, I kind of knew this one was a suicide run. So, I mean, I I have not, (laughs) I have not been able to, I've not been able to prove from a strategic perspective, like good enough in my own mind that like definitely the DM needs a full overhaul. Okay. And so I, I have 40 plus years of Dungeons and Dragons being a successful entity on my side as it is. So. You do. It's a, it's a tough wall to climb. 
<laughs> you know, it's a double all the climb. I mean, I, I would have to bring out some revolutionary points for you to go like, aha, DMing I'm, sucks. I'm sorry, you're, you're, the rope on your grappling hook is far too short to cr- to be able to throw it over top of this can, wall. I'm can sorry. I roll for that? <laughs> no, you <laughs> oh, damn don't even, it. You don't even See, get you roll. have too much power. You don't even get a roll. <laughs> so, there you go, listener. DM, what do you think? Let let us know in the comment sections. We know you're you're always commenting, listener. Always. Yeah, so many we love comments. all your comments, all the feedback. <laughs> All right, let's All move right. on yep. to Crazy About Cardboard, in which we're just going to talk about some games we want to be made. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, this is, the, listener, this is an experimental segment here. So um, I called it future proof, meaning like thinking proof of a game before right. it goes out for production. And again, this is an experiment, but I just wanted us to come up with uh, the goal was five. I came up with five. Uh, board three. games that I'd like to see. Okay, that's awesome. Okay. That's good enough. Yeah, and I just have some creative ideas of stuff I'd like to see. So uh, I guess if I have more than you, it's yeah. probably best if I you start. Um, so I've tried to, I actually kind of go from uh, least creative to most creative. Okay. The first board game idea I had, I named them all, is called Galaxy in Turmoil. And what I wanted that to be was an Axis and Allies global style. So, like, we're talking huge board. Like, you know, three feet wide, nine feet long board Mm -hmm. um, that is uh, a licensed Star Wars game. It's a bunch of solar systems. And basically, uh, there would be a randomization kind of uh, position with uh, how much... Like which cities, or sorry, which which planets the Empire and the Rebels start with it would kind of be weighed in the Empire's uh, favor. The Empire would kind of more be towards the core, which is the richer planets. But what's nice about the Rebels is they're on the outer rim, so they've got more more space to expand and to kind of hide out. But the Empire is going to be richer to start, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like uh, you know a winning situation where. One of the random planets will have a token that is the Rebels' headquarters. So basically, the Empire has to get there, smash it, take it. Um, whereas the Rebels, their job is to move into the core, into the center of the map, and take Coruscant, which is the uh, Imperial capital. And so there would be both like a space combat type of thing. Again, very much Axis and Allies side with rolling and right. fleets. Um, there would be a ground attack portion where it would be fought virtually the same way. Right. So you kind of want a blown up Star Wars Rebellion. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But blown up to a larger scale, much larger okay. than Twilight Imperium. Right. Interesting. And and you would... Yeah, a lot, I mean, a lot of those features, it sounds like Star Wars Rebellion, which we really still need to... Yeah, play. I haven't played it. So if, if, listener, you have played it and the game's very similar... That's okay, but I have seen the game board for that, and my scope for Galaxy sure. and Turmoil is much larger it's scope. Big, 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 big. So it would be like, you know, set it up for three days and play over those three Absolutely. Days. Okay. Absolutely. Interesting. So that that really is my first idea, but that's, that's cool. a game I would like to see. That's cool. What have you got? Uh, well, so I went strictly like IPs. Okay, that that's like. fine. My first one is um, basically a Spider-Man into the multiverse game. Nice. Like a, like an asymmetric, you know, everyone kind of plays a different Spider-Man. They have their own unique powers and maybe, I don't know how to play, maybe a deck of cards is kind of, it's like card-driven actions or or something akin to uh, like the, the Conan, the Barbarian game or the uh, Batman Gotham City Chronicles. They got a cool little minis and, you know, your kind of personal player board and you're managing like energy resources or something. Or, 
I don't know. I think it would be it would be cool and basically giving Marvel uh, this treatment that DC seems to get from this this particular game system as, as the Gotham City Chronicles. That is really cool. I like the idea of everyone playing a different Spidey. Yeah, it could be could be pretty fun. Now, are the Spideys in the multiverse? Are they in competition with each other? No, I think it would have. To, they would be co op. Okay. Yeah, I don't really. It could be a one. It would be. I guess it, would, it could be a one versus many. Mm. which might be might or may not be fun but then like you could have uh you know you would have a bunch of different villains where they would get the same treatment so you could just play a teams as well oh that's cool yeah maybe just i don't know a random map that has a particular objective or something and could maybe even make it like campaign-ish i mean again it doesn't have to like be following the movie but i really like that movie's art style so i think it would lend great to a to a board yeah game. yeah yeah and, especially with the new spider-man coming out this year, right? Yeah. Later this year? Far From Home. Comes Far out July 2nd, I think. And it's like, you know, that's the kind of tie-in as an adult I'd like to see. Don't offer me a plastic cup at Cineplex as my merchandise <laughs> tie-in. Or a toy at a fast food restaurant for a five-year-old. Yeah. You know, co-brand this. You know, you've got the, the trailer and it's like, by the way, this, you know, board game out right now. Co-op. Spidey. The multiverse. Right. Yeah, that would give me jack. I'd be, cool. be interested. Well, they they did uh, they kind of did a similar thing with like Infinity War, um, the the Avengers, uh, a game called Thanos Rising. Oh, okay. and basically it was it's a like a cooperative card game, and you're you kind of have like a team of heroes, right? And of course, right. it pulls in for more than just featured characters in the MCU. I mean, they got to flesh the game out, but you're just all playing to prevent that from getting the infinity stones right yeah so they could do okay. something similar like that too i think that would be really really that cool. is cool okay we're on to something there my second is also an ip uh game which is uh it the board game hmm. and i had this idea i've always had this idea in the back of my head of a board that is it's it's a board game like an actual board but it has all these cardboard pop-up segments so you'd kind of be in like a sort of a haunted mansion, for lack of a better term. And this would be like an all the players versus one player thing, where one player is it, and he has all these kind of supernatural powers, so he can you know manifest as this for one turn. Right. Um, and certain players would be weak to some of his manifestations. Right. Certain would be strong. And so the idea would be that they you know they have to. All, at least one player has to survive a set amount of turns. Hmm. Um, That's cool. And they would probably have to collect a certain amount of things. So it's like one player has to survive. They have to collect these sorts of items and like basically do a ritual to end the game. Right. Absolutely. And like even, oh, that's that could be really cool because it could like he could like be almost like a hidden movement too right oh 100 percent pop up all over oh, oh that's in my notes all over it, it would be hidden board. movement yeah, and absolutely. it was inspired by that alien hidden movement game i played with you years yeah, ago yeah, yeah that's what actually inspired this so oh, that'd be so really cool the whole point is that i wanted the board game to make people feel a little intense little fear because right. you don't know when it's gonna pop up and you don't know how he's gonna manifest yeah absolutely you know yeah because if you're caught one and especially them going having to gather the items you got to do it, you know, it's timed. They got to do it as quickly as possible. Exactly. They're going to have to split up. They're going to have go. to split up. Yeah. They're going to have to risk. You know, I don't know all of its powers. I would have to research them. But one I thought of 
is that <laughs> it's basically a, a Deus Ex Machina. Like it can do whatever. It could it do like. anything. So, well, that, <laughs> anything, that works in anything it needs for the story. It basically does. So, like one of the powers would be is that you know it sure he's hiding around. You don't you don't know where he is this turn. Well, he plays a power card that he's got where he possesses one of the players for their turn. So Johnny's like, yeah, I'm about to take my turn. It plays his card, gets possessed. Johnny's standing beside Chris, and Johnny's like armed with a hammer and then gets to strike Chris with his hammer. <laughs> and it's it would like freak you out. If you're at the table, you'd be like, no, fuck no. Yeah, Jeez. Yeah. That could be cool. And it would create this paranoid kind of thing, you know. Right. You have to work together, but it's even, hell, it would be even pot- potentially dangerous, like even pairing up. Oh, yeah. And there would, of course, be a piece of cardboard where a token moves down each turn until the end. Right. So that that's visceral. The yeah. players see that there is a countdown to oblivion mm-hmm. and it makes them freak out more and more that they've got to take more and more risks. That's cool. To get rid of it. So, yeah, that's what I got. Uh, well, my second, uh, again, going with that IP thing and... Like, my favorite IP is probably God of War. Mm. So I was thinking of, like, a like fully solo God of War game. Okay. And I don't really know how it would play or, or what the driving mechanic of it would be. Maybe some type of deck builder. But, like, I think you would have, you could, like, even build it, break it into, like, scenarios that is basically playing through the lore of the God of War series and each scenario would be like one of the games kind of thing right but ah, that could be kind of weird because like every game basically he gets depowered so i don't know how you could really how would you make that work like it would be moving from scenario to scenario i mean i guess they could be maybe even standalone scenarios right but ah, i think it would need to have like maybe it would rpg aspects um uh, stats you could upgrade i don't know i mean obviously there's lots of cool monsters that you could fight and like you could get some real gross looking artwork and stuff if it was like a card game or something i think that would be fun i just like god of war (laughs) no that's cool that's cool i mean i think the takeaway from that is that there's a good ip that you could do something with yeah um i mean it's basically just greek mythology but it's got a little twist on it what i think would be cool is a god of war game where uh, maybe similar to the it game you know he has to collect a certain amount of things maybe there's no timer but he has to survive but the catch of this game would be he he's obviously the hero or the closest thing to it and all the other players play a variety maybe they've got a subset of monsters so one takes care of the archer monsters one takes care of the magical one takes care of the physical and they're ganging up on god of war and he can cut through them yeah because there's real no fear of him like in those games like he's supposed to be a fucking beast and just rip through and the idea is if the other players play their cards right literally um they could they can they could take them down right but how fun would that be that you know you're god of war and you're fighting but instead of a computer you know, like on the video game, yeah. forcing yeah, characters. Geez. You have other thinking people coordinating against right, you, right, right. the monsters. That'd be cool. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I like that. So that'd be a good challenge. So I don't believe I have any others that are on an IP. This is actually one of my favorite ones. So this one is called Surreal, and it's S-U-R, capital R-E-A-L. So Sur in real. This is an escape room in a box, but with a big twist. So most of the puzzles are encased in the box, but the actual room itself, uh, you would require an an, uh, Oculus Rift or Mm -hmm. similar. 
And so you can put it on. You have to have at least one, but multiple players that have multiple riffs, they could put it on. And that's how you envision the room. And so clues will be hidden around this virtual room that you can th- see through your VR device. And then, you know, you see a certain amount of scribbles on the wall. Okay, well, that, that uh, corresponds to a puzzle you've got on your table in your little box. Right. And so I think one of the frustrations we found is just the stupid crap in these boxes where it's like, you know, you have to look on the box to find a number that's hidden under the instructions or something like that. So it's like, and I was trying to think, well, how can we do better? Well, how about we actually make a virtual room and the characters get to actually look around this room right. that they have to escape from? Yeah, there actually have been uh, some recent really? games that implement like basic technology like that. Okay. It's like, you know, you would, God, I forget what the title of it is, but you get like a certain edition and it comes with something you just kind of put your phone on. You kind of oh. just hold your phone around and it. On your phone, it displays the room that you're kind of looking oh, at. Oh, okay. So very, very similar, but like a very basic kind of All right. implementation of that technology. That's interesting. But it's it's cool. I think it's pretty cool. I mean, there are other VR, strictly VR games too. Like uh, there's one like where you one guy's got the headset on and they're like trying to defuse a bomb, but everybody without headsets have the instructions. And they're mm. like trying to relay those instructions to him kind of That's thing. That's cool. It's cool technology. And blend of it could be really interesting. Mm. yeah cool yeah well that was my third well my last one is uh is a monster hunter game nice like this is the like it's it's so primed to get like a kickstarter miniature bonanza treatment right right? like just uh like a cooperative you just have your hunters out you know gather hunting these beasts like to fulfill contracts on you know and and harvesting them for parts it would i think it would play a lot like uh kingdom death monster but not like as i don't know if you're familiar with that game at all no i'm not but it is like it's like set in this real fucked up world and all these monsters are like these deformed like you know twisted things of what you would expect to fight like um like there's like a, a white lion it's got like like human hands on it and it's all like this gritty disgusting shit right and like your characters just die and over and over, so it would be kind of like that, less on the settlement building because like in in Kingdom Death you play, you're building the settlement right, so you have like generations of characters right, that you're right. going through, and uh, so it would be it would definitely be less like that, but it would be kind of kind of dungeon crawly, but um, yeah, I think it would just like you would just set up so nicely to have these crazy miniatures of all these dinosaur like monsters that you would be fighting and kind of thing i think it would uh it could gain or gain a lot of favor i think hmm yeah that is pretty cool i i like your suggestion so far okay my fourth is called gladiatron and this is a hybrid resource collection and mech combat game so the first part of the game would involve the uh, characters collecting resources to buy lots of parts servos which could like you know, on a servo, you could add an arm or a hand, and then a hand could, you know, hold a weapon, and then you'd have to buy the weapons. So there'd be a number of turns where you play collecting resources to buy these cards, and uh, which are parts. And then the game flips to a totally new kind of game at a certain point, where now your mech, however well you've built it up, has to fight in a gladiatorial combat Okay. Ring. Cool. With whatever parts you were able to scrounge in time right, and hook right. up for it. I think it was kind of inspired by 
Galaxy Trucker. Galaxy Trucker. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. That sounds cool. Yeah, that's a really cool theme too. Yeah, and I like the idea. It it would be whoever survives last last robot standing. Yeah. Um, and so you could play up to four players and. You know, you beat the shit oh, out of the guy to your cool. left, but the other two gang up on you. Okay, but then they got to fight each other. Right. And Oh, yeah. And, like, ugh, the parts could be, like, tied to, like, card abilities. And, like, the oh, yeah. combat could be, like, kind of this cool, like, back and forth with this card player or something yeah. like that. that yeah, could be that's really actually, cool. that's exactly the idea. Nice. That's cool. Gladiator. I like that. The very last one I had was, <laughs> the name probably sucks, Mamma Mia Pizza. And this is basically <laughs> this is basically an overcooked uh, video game knockoff by okay. board game. Okay. Um, it's co-op, two-player teams. Uh, you could have up to four teams, so up to eight players. Um, and basically, they have to go around this kitchen. They orders come in, and uh, they're allowed to carry a certain amount. And they also will each have a refrigerator with very limited space, but they can stock what they think is going to come up in the future. Yeah. So, for example, if a lot of pepperoni has come up so far, there's a limited amount of each resource. So you know pretty soon pizzas are going to come up for, say, Hawaiian. So then do you want to spend you know, a turn grabbing some pineapples and putting it in the refrigerator, which will make things easier for you down the road? Or do you try and, no, let's score some quick points and just score this other okay. uh, pepperoni pizza? <laughs> That sounds cool. So I just thought it'd be fun and kind of frantic. Uh, there'd be some fun little cards like, you know, you, I don't know, you throw a banana peel at someone and may, potentially make them slip and lose a turn or yeah, something yeah. like that. You could screw with some each take other, that stuff and... you know, turn up the knob on their oven so it burns their pizza and they have to start <laughs> over. But that sounds uh, cool. yeah. I just thought it would be fun and very easy to That make. would be a fun, like, light, almost party game-ish. Too. Exactly. That yeah. was my feeling for it because... I wrote these games. I'm like, hey, I've got a giant Star Wars Galaxy game. I've got a horror board game. I've got a VR escape room. I've got a gladiatorial game. I need something lighter. So I was like, hey, what do I mean? And so I came with Mamma like Mia it. Pizza. I like it. That's cool. So, uh, yeah, listeners. So uh, those are the games we'd like to see. Um, feel free to comment on which ones you thought were cool or sucked. Yeah. And uh, I think move on to our last segment here. Absolutely. So this is time for Movie Musings, Second Snake Bite. So we've alluded to this before, I think, uh, in our last episode, um, but Cobra Kai Season 2 has been out. Uh, Leland and I have binged it, yeah, and we're ready to say how much we enjoyed it, but also tear it apart. <laughs> <laughs> so, as, as we do. As we do. Uh, Leland, opening thoughts about Season 2. Well, opening thoughts. So I, I think I enjoyed Season 1 better. Okay. Um, I think I liked the the pacing and some of the progression of season one a little better. Right. Season two to me felt felt very very rushed and almost like a microcosm of the the world that was built in season one. Kind of. Uh, I don't know. I think they. I think it was obviously purposeful, and I think they went. They were going for a different feel with this season. Something a little more more frenetic and charged up. Mm-hmm. And I think that it allowed some of the story beats to get a little more out of control as a result, which I think was handled handled well. Yeah, I felt it's interesting. Rushed did kind of cross my mind. It, yeah. it feels like they had some... Okay, listener, we're getting into full spoiler territory oh, yes, here. Yes. We should warn you. Full on spoiler. So it, I felt like they had come to season two and they had probably planned way in advance. Okay, we're going to have Kreese come back. He's going to slowly take over Johnny's dojo. 
Daniel's going to kind of reconnect with Miyagi and Miyagi-Do, and we're going to have these kind of two dueling karate houses. And I thought that that was probably planned far in advance. But what was not planned far in advance is how the fuck they're going to implement this. <laughs> and so... <laughs> right, they got they got the start point and the end point, but right. they don't have a roadmap. So it became between. very rushed. And I'll give you a good example because it was actually the last scene or the second to last scene in the whole season was you see so you see sensei crease come in and at first he's kind of quiet and observing then he starts to kind of put down johnny because he's not tough enough and there's maybe a few scenes of him in front of the students um you know saying that uh you know they're johnny what you're teaching's wrong you know he talks to a few individual students here there says you know like he talks to hawk and tells him you know is this this really what you want to be you know, do you really think Johnny's got your best interests in mind? But the second to last scene is Crease. Now he's got like most of the students, they're completely devoted to him, working out in a new part of the dojo, completely abandoned Johnny. And it's like, where did this overall corruption of the dojo occur? Right. Like where Crease suddenly it's like, yeah, most of the students, we don't want you, Johnny. We all want Crease. Here's the final scene where Crease now owns the building, has the dojo. Like, I felt like there were little p- plot points that were leading in that direction, but at no way did I ever see Crease take over the right. entire dojo. Yeah, you're right, because really we had, there was only that one episode where Johnny was away. Right. And kind of rekindling, and we got a little uh, character callback kind of, you know, uh, cameos, I guess you would call them. Yeah, cameos. From uh, his, his crew way back from the original movie, which at first, okay, well, let's pin yes. that, we'll get back to that. But I think, yeah, you're right. Um I think Kreese's character was well written, though, because like every time you see him on screen, you're like, man, he's yeah. just plotting. He's just a fucking snake. Yes. He's literally a snake. <laughs> <laughs> he's literally a cobra. He's literally a cobra just waiting to strike. But we didn't we didn't really get we didn't really get the strike. We just kind of saw the bloated, poisoned body on the side of the road, and then we yes. took it from there. <laughs> yes. Um, so I think Kreese's dialogue was done well. Yeah. I think his intentions were done well. You see how he comes in, how he, at first he pretends he's innocent just to help Johnny, but he's really there to take back his dojo. Yeah. I think all of that's fine. But again, they rushed through without showing the proper mechanisms of how these things happen. Right. So were we supposed to get that, like, Miguel's injury was the main, was the really the nail in the coffin for that? Like, was, was really the, the thing that kicked that? off for the for the students like i because if they did i didn't really get that no and i want to get into that because uh how miguel was handled was actually one of my biggest criticisms of the whole season yeah, his character so in the, I, in the season. yeah it uh and i mean I, I think maybe that's a good time to jump into that my answer to you leland would be i don't know my second answer is i i don't know what what miguel was doing in this entire season like right. he was like flopping around like a dead fish. He was like, flopping around like a dead fish. Didn't know what where he was going, what he was doing, but it wasn't entertaining no. to see him be so indecisive. And he has such a major, major arc through the first season, right? You know, and a very clear arc about who he is. Like literally, the only reason I can see for him in all of season two, but it, it doesn't prove any points. So he's there to get a new girlfriend in Tori, <laughs> right? And you can tell that he's like the one student that's loyal to Johnny. Like he's yes. not he's not a Miyagi Do, but he's not a Sensei Crease right. kid either. He still is Johnny's 
which is where his indecision comes from. Right. Is that loyalty. That Right. But that's it. For 10 episodes, right. that's all I know what Miguel did. And it's weird because he's on camera. He's filmed. <laughs> he fights at the very end. So, but he doesn't do anything. Yeah, he was like a supplement for everybody. I mean, he really um, – Miguel's character exists – for the conflict between Tori and Sam. Yes. Right? Otherwise, Tori's character is nothing. Like, without sure. without her just being associated with Miguel, romantically or otherwise, there's nothing for her there's, character there's to really, do. There, there's, exactly. no, there's no reason for her character to side with Crease by the end of it. Clearly, her character is already very troubled and already down this path of the evil Cobra Kai, right? Right. Oh yeah, he didn't do he didn't do fuck all. He I mean, didn't like, do fuck all. He butted heads with Hawk a little bit because Hawk started you know sliding his way farther down than he was already on that slope, right? Yeah, he was really just like a supplement for all these other characters that aren't nearly as as interesting as he was in season one. Right. It's as if I almost imagine the writers being there and they're like, you know, Crease is gonna come and he's gonna do this, and uh, Daniel's gonna have my Yogi do, and all these people are gonna transfer over. Oh, and Hawk, Hawk, you know, he's gonna be reminded and ridiculed that he's you know was and i actually thought that talk had had a pretty good season um yeah i agree with that. you know he, there's that scene where they start talking about doctor who and it's kind of revealed that he's a nerd and then eli yeah. brings up that or no hawk is eli or is he eli that's uh, a good question no i uh, think eli is eli's his buddy, his buddy. yeah okay <laughs> well we'll call him as we'll call eli we'll call his buddy his buddy because i hated that character too but yeah, he's a shit character he's a shit he's character. so annoying he's, he's very he's such very a little fucking whiner but he brings up that hawk was a bedwetter <laughs> yeah. and so that gets hawk but i like what happens there is hawk doesn't be like oh you know i really am just a little geek and i should go to miyagi do no it actually drives him darker Back, backward yeah. darker yeah. way more where now he's like, you can tell he's gonna be um He's going to be Crease's star sensei. Yeah, absolutely. Our star, star student, student yeah. in uh, season three. Yeah, Hawk definitely took, uh, you know, all of his interactions with Eli. It was like one step forward, like five steps back. Yeah. Because of Eli. Because of Like Eli. legitimately though. Although it was more the, retali- the retaliation of Eli for Hawk's previous uh, actions. So it's not really, I guess, that, ca- that Eli character's fault. But it's still Hawk like on his own. Like right. Hawk, Hawk almost like self-destructing. Yeah. And uh, with Eli, I mean, he is like the least candidate to be a karate person. Yeah. And they spend, it's so annoyingly, they spend like three episodes showing him fail, do nothing but fail as a karate kid. And then like finally blocks a punch and suddenly he's good or like good enough. Take down Hawk. Yeah. And can take down Hawk. Oh, I hated that. That was really stupid. And you see it coming, you're like, oh, this is dumb. This is dumb. That was so much wasted screen time so they could get this bullshit pay, yes. payoff, quote-unquote payoff Payoff scene. in the last episode. Bullshit. 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 Although it was fun seeing him getting kicked. <laughs> it was. Actually, like, like I actually did really like like that whole freezer Yeah, scene. that was a cool scene. That was cool, I guess. Like, the whole mentality between, like, you know, being still training on these worst conditions. Training as your best in the worst conditions kind of thing. Right. I liked that. I liked a lot of the Miyagi-Do stuff. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Um, but I felt like it was drawn out. Like, to really get it up and going, it was just really drawn out. Well, it was because... So, Daniel, you know, just at first starts with uh, with Robbie and, and, and Sam. Sam yeah. And so, for a number of episodes, it's just them. And then he's like, wah, I don't have other students. And it's like, suddenly a bunch of Cobra Kai of the lesser students join them 
right and through no for through nothing daniel did though. no exactly daniel didn't do fuck all to get these new students no he did nothing it was all of like of crease and johnny's failures that drove those students to daniel <laughs> i know and That's it's really like stupid <laughs> i remember watching that episode and daniel's reaction is kind of like what they just came here my and i was goodness, like that's my so reaction easy. too it's like <laughs> these kids just come and they're like yes please teach the eight of us that have come here karate <laughs> we all eight of us spontaneously at the same time want to come to uh, your your dojo and you lead us yeah yeah um brutal brutal yeah it Oof. was brutal i mean daniel i guess has some character development but it's very one-dimensional it's that he realizes a little bit that he's lost miyagi's ways and yeah he he creates Miyagi Do and tries to just bring back Miyagi right in himself, right. and that's it. That's what Daniel does. Yeah, yeah. Mind you, though, Johnny has a similar arc, almost yeah. reversed though, right? Like Johnny dips back into the crease side, but then is able to right himself. Exactly. Um, although I do like that, and now we're back to that, um, like cameo episode it was basically a full episode yes bringing back all of his goon squad from the original movie which i was like this is so stupid at first right but then i think the payoff was really worth it because they used that narratively as like shaking johnny back to his senses right and being like what the hell are you doing you know who this man is you know who crease is and what he does what the fuck are you doing well in a, in a key part of that and i forget the character's name because it kind of looks similar but there's a member of his og crew and it was the guy who said like he was now a pastor yeah that guy he's actually kind of a good guy and he's kind of the angel on johnny's shoulder that kind of slapped him right. up straight and be like right. you know look at what you've become under crease crease is a bad man yeah and you know we're your best friends so i like that character and i thought he played an important a small but important role in johnny's perspective i agree I did like that episode. We commented that probably again due to rushing. That's some of the worst karate on the series. It was a, yeah, it was it was a bad it was fight a bad scene. fight. Yeah. It, Almost like they could have cut it out. Yeah, like, like, wow. it was sloppy. Why did that exist? They like again. I don't remember any of those auxiliary characters from the movie either. Right. Like, they so looked, I had no so I had no connection to them. I'm like, okay, I don't know who any of these fuckers are. Yeah. Like uh, uh, when he first shows up at the hot, he gets he literally gets a call out of the blue, and this is why this season ultimately feels rushed. Is because we had like a whole year from the timeline in season one, and I don't know how. What's the timeline in this one? Like uh, just summer. I know it's just okay, summer. So it's like, like two to, like the first day of school, like two or three months. Yeah. yeah, you're right. That's right. So in like now these suddenly in a sixth of the time that we've seen these characters grow. We're introduced to these four dudes again, and they're rekindling. I'm like, where the hell do these guys come well, from? And one of them is literally days away from dying of cancer, and that's the first phone call Johnny Johnny's gets from that guy yeah. or his friends. Absolutely. Like, really? Doesn't make much sense. That doesn't make much sense. Doesn't make that, much sense. Because, okay, if that's these guys have I... had a falling out, then you're not going to pick up the phone and be like, yeah, hey, bro, you know, great to hear from you. Yeah, we'll chill. Oh, what? One of us has had cancer for two years and is yeah. on his deathbed? Oh, that's not how human friendships work. <laughs> and they also didn't see them reuniting. We did not get the sense at all that they had had a falling out. Yes. No, exactly. Yeah, it was literally like, oh, they just haven't talked in a while. <laughs> like, Because they're like hugging each other and they're like 
fucking around like normal like <laughs> you know yeah let's let's all get on matching motorcycles so that's why originally i'm like i don't this is stupid this yeah. is dumb but i do think it was worth the payoff yes. because otherwise how the hell is johnny gonna course correct exactly like johnny johnny can't even course correct himself he can't no. just like daniel can't course correct himself it takes his wife to do it right that's actually kind of the flaw like in a good way, like I'm not meaning like a story flaw, but a character flaw in um, Johnny and Daniel. And it's how stubborn they are in their ways. It's how self-involved they are in their own little world. Yeah. Like some of the best stuff that uh, that Daniel's wife does in the whole show is she constantly reminds the audience of reality. Like what these two men have going is an incredibly immature petty thing for two 50 year old men to have right um i know a lot of fans say it's one of the best lines in the series but um in in this season where they have the obligatory johnny and daniel almost become friends episode where like the waitress comes by and they're arguing do you know each other do you know each oh they have warring karate (laughs) that was yeah (laughs) it's like it snaps us back to reality like this isn't normal behavior (laughs) well it's so funny that like even almost the rest of the world, it's like normal too. Yeah, it kind of is. That way? Because even like the guy that Johnny like arm twists and puts under the hood of the car at Daniel's dealership that ends up quitting. Um, like, I don't know. He like loves that Daniel is like an old karate master or whatever. Like, it's like, what? Yeah. And it's like, like wouldn't that be it in the newspapers? The city they Rogue live. sensei performs karate <laughs> and throws guy on a hood of car assaulting him. Assault charges are pending. Like this isn't yeah. normal. So, do you did you feel then? So the role that Daniel's what? What's her character's name? I don't oh, remember. I you know what? I don't know. We we can call her. Well, I don't know. Her the actress's name is like Court Courtney Henniger. Oh, okay. Well, Courtney, again, she does a fantastic job. Like she was mm-hmm. a highlight of season one as well. Right. She's a really great character. Yeah, absolutely. Now, though, do you think? The role that she plays, like you say, is just reminding the audience of the ridiculousness. It's almost like fourth wall breaking at points. Does that take away from the conflict that she and Daniel ultimately have and the strain on their marriage by the end of the season? Because it's almost like, okay, you're, you've are you been joking and like telling us how ridiculous this is. Does that take away from lending credence to like how she should feel and how like, Daniel, you're being neglectful? Because that's kind of how I felt. But also, like, regardless of how ridiculous it is, Daniel is being neglectful and yes. is just throwing her to the side to focus on other things that isn't part of his marriage. Right. I think what you're getting at there is what Daniel is doing is like, like, if this was real life, this right. is a serious, like, grievance to right. a marriage with someone. The stuff that he forgets and right. how he's falling apart Des- at work. Despite the context, how ridiculous the context is. Yes. Yeah. And so essentially what Courtney does is she she makes light of it and in a way that's unrealistic. It's like right. she's probably threatening to move out if it was realistic right. by that yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, this, go- this neglect goes on for like six weeks or two months. Absolutely. Show. And it almost undermines the the end point, right? It's, exactly. It's undermining the actual conflict, I think. It's like all you're doing is talking yeah. and you're making light of it. So I'm going to feel less bad for you and that this is less of a serious situation than the show actually tries to portray right and and, i mean no wonder daniel continued to function the way that he functioned i had that thought like when daniel did time after time he was being neglectful and she's just like 
you know, oh, you're you're too late. And she walks out on him. They, right. they didn't Enjoy go far enough with that. Or share share the sushi with the customer. Right, share the sushi with yeah, the yeah. customer. She should have like done. She should have done something cold. And she's like, Daniel, I'm done. And like load up her something car like and, and go uh, to, yeah. to visit her parents or something like that. I just, you know what? I never felt like she was going to do that. I always felt that, it, you know, the show kept coming back to making it like it's not that big of a right, deal. Right. I wonder, though, if it wasn't meant to be as big a deal. Because at hmm. no point did I feel like their marriage was in jeopardy. No. Because of Daniel's actions. And I think that is because of how solid they made it and wrote it. And we, we got to see it was in season one. Right. Um, like even in like season one where Johnny shows up at Daniel's house and they almost start fighting. Right. And she's like, what? No, get the fuck inside. We're having breakfast. This is stupid. Yeah. And she knows how stubborn and bullheaded Daniel can be. And I think is quickly realizing that Johnny is the exact same way. Yes. And like just settle your differences. You guys could be best buds. <laughs> yeah. Because at the end, they are very similar people and the show yeah. i think smartly is positioning that they seem like they're acres apart but they're actually not and that's yeah. what those episodes where they're brought together kind of show they're in a way they're like me and my brother you know we have some similarities and we're obviously brothers and we fought at times and stuff like that but you know then sometimes you realize how similar the other person is right and right um and then it takes one stupid thing to happen where you start you fight again or whatever, You right? fight again. In their case, literally, you fight. Yes. You have yeah. a fight. Yeah, okay, okay. There, there's, there's lots of that to break down. And right. I, I'm going to start with sure. Sam's breakdown. Okay. Was not convinced that she, you know, like, descended into this, like, getting hammered. And, like, I, yeah. wasn't, I wasn't convinced that that was part of her arc. No. So that felt stupid. And then the whole time you're thinking, okay... I don't really know where this is going, but why are we, why is this happening? Because then, like, she kisses Miguel, and then, again, okay, so it's there just to piss off Tori, right? Right. It gets her homicidal, literally homicidal, and it is serves as the catalyst between Daniel and Johnny getting pissed at fight, and, literally, like you said, literally fighting again. So, like, that was, again, feels like something that is just written there as the catalyst for something else to further the plot that is unrealistic. Right. Yeah, so I right. didn't... Didn't make any sense. No. And it's like, okay, so Sam's purpose is to be drawn into a fight with Tori over Miguel. But again, there's a character like I I want to see a reason for Sam, whether it's, you know, she thinks that Miyagi is the only way to really connect with her father whom she loves but can't connect with any other way. Like Sam is just such a shallow character. Yeah. She, she, yeah, I think she was... Also shallow in season one, mm-hmm. but a better character in season one. Yeah. So I think in season one, she was there and she propped up Miguel in season one. She did. And she actually in season one was really cool about her. She's a very good contrast to help the audience feel how far Miguel has fallen. Right. Because, oh, yeah, absolutely. And, because you see absolutely. at that party, like I think where he accidentally hits her. Right. Um. Yeah. It, so she she has a major role there. Mm-hmm. Um, but in season two, not so much. It's like she just decides she wants to join her dad's karate club. Right. Gets good at fighting. Yeah. And it's just like it's just like, again, we we don't see the buildup of these character decisions. We just see the decision. We see Sam make this decision to try to have play this stupid drinking game and get goaded into doing it with Tori, which, again, is I think is fine. But like then she gets to the point where she's angry drunk slapping away Robbie's help 
uh, right. turning against her friend that is still her friend, but kind of not at some points in this. Like, so at every turn, and then she finally ends up turning to Miguel. I don't know. I just don't buy it. I don't, I don't like it. I think it's stupid. Mm-hmm. And then, so so now, like, is that also to further our emotional payoff, seeing her character react to Miguel getting, like, fuck, fucking paralyzed? Or, like, what? Yeah. Or, or are we supposed to not give a shit about Robbie now? Because now, like, whose side are we? is the audience supposed to be on? Yeah, and maybe that was purposeful. At least I think the writers would probably cl- try to claim, oh, yeah, it was totally purposeful. We don't know. We, we want you to not know what you want to think. Um, but, you, you know, you brought up Robbie there, and, and his point this season was basically to show that he's actually not, you know, some full-on good guy convert at all, that he's actually practicing Miyagi-Do for his own point, which is to get back at his dad. Yeah. But I felt like they, they again, they didn't run that plot point, that plot point strong enough. Mm-hmm. They rushed through it. There's one good scene where he kind of tells Daniel, this was also in the trailer, where he's, you know, like, yeah, we're going to get Cobra Kai back so bad. Yeah. And it, that's all it is. He's out for revenge against his dad. Right. I mean, he's really his father's son. I mean, you see at the end, he gets, loses control. Loses control. And Miguel showing mercy. And Miguel suffers for it because Robbie's... In that case. <laughs> yeah, and I think what's what I did like about that though is that Miguel is in that scene, he's like a, a doppelganger for Johnny. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Robbie is gonna show no mercy and he mm-hmm. has so much rage because Miguel is like the new Johnny. Right. He, he had and so what it what is Robbie doing there? He's essentially like kicking his own dad out of rage. Yeah, that's totally true. You're so right. So I that's right. that's what I noticed. And I think I think the redeeming thing about season two is with Miguel in the hospital and with what Robbie just did and with how Sam feels, they can really write the ship with these characters next season, but are they going to feel rushed again to just, you know, and I, I place some blame on the fans fans too, because I, I look at the fan base carefully. I I'm very up to date with the Twitter and the Facebook and the YouTube comments. And they're all like, bring in more OG characters. You know, just bring him in, bring him in, bring him in. And I think to a degree, the, you know, with Allie having accepted Johnny's Facebook request at right. the very end of the show, they're going to bring her in. And it's like, at some point, is that all the fans want? Like, just a parade of cameos from the original movie that are, like, forced in? Yeah, that are ultimately meaningless. Meaningless. And that's where I respect the writers is, you know, Martin Cove, since he Crease, wanted to come back early in the first season. He said that, but they purposefully held him out uh, yeah. because he didn't suit a purpose right. until coming in at the very end. Absolutely. That was not his story. His yeah. story was Daniel and Johnny. I respect that for them. But now the fans are going to bitch and complain about, we want all these million cameos, and then it's not going to fit well, and they're going to say, well, you made a shitty season. Right. And it's like... Right. Well, look! Look at what you're asking. Well, look, I I got no problem with bringing Allie back. No, she would play a point. Uh, yeah, I think so too. But what point would she play? Uh, okay, they better not try to make this stupid bullshit love triangle thing. Oh yeah, that with, would with be... Miguel's mom or, or no? Like... With like between like Allie, Johnny, and Daniel, oh, okay. that would be terrible and oh, undermine man. every single thing we've seen between Daniel and Courtney in the last two seasons. Yeah. I would hate that. I would be real pissed if they try to do that bullshit. Oh man! So so what is she gonna come and be love interest for Johnny, and then to to what other end? I, like, why would she want to come back and get with Johnny? 
I know. Really, what does he offer? <laughs> what? Well, and on also like, especially on on the point of which they left those two characters. Um, obviously, obviously, they haven't talked in thirty years. So the last Allie had anything to do with either of them, she was dating Daniel. Right. So what the? Why? I I don't know. Unnecessary. Unnecessary. Yeah. Unnecessary. It doesn't make any sense. No. Um. I I want to get your thoughts on Stingray. He's a much talked about <laughs> okay. character. No, I, I honestly do. It sounds like I'm bringing him up as a joke, but I, I want to know what you thought about him. I liked him. You liked I him. I got laughs. Uh, every time he was on screen, I got laughs. Yeah, he's a really unique character. He His role is to represent a caricature of a super fan of this show. That's what he exists <laughs> yeah. for. I've seen that in numerous places, too. I think I saw even one of the writers admit to that. Oh, yeah. As if, like, a super fan had been suddenly placed into this world because that's what he is. He's this fat guy, much older than the kids, like in his mid, like in his 30s or whatever, that wants to join the club. (laughs) I do like how Stingray, you know, at first he's just this bumbling idiot and you just, I'm more smirked at him. I didn't really laugh at him. But then when he won the like red versus black <laughs> yeah. bandana fight pops out of leaves, I thought that was good. Yeah, and then I actually, I really liked his scene in the very final episode where he's trying to become the security guard for the school, <laughs> school. with no reason. Now, part of that listener is because in that scene, he is basically playing his character from I, Tanya. He's like, yeah, I'm like an agent. Yes, you know? oh my goodness, is he ever. Because he, you know, I, I'm an agent. I know yeah. what I'm doing. I've got no resume, yeah. but well, I, um, I know karate. That guy gets typecast because he's, he plays a bit part in uh, Black Klansman, which is a really good movie. And he's like like an over-the-board Nazi, like playing with, at one scene, he's like playing with explosives and everyone's like, no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> they know to keep this shit and like they don't give loaded guns because he's an idiot. Like, he's plays the same fucking character clearly oh, that's hilarious <laughs> um so i would say that he grew on me a little bit okay but i what i like is after you know because the karate fight happens while he's actually getting interviewed yeah. he's like i'll handle this and i think he comes right out into the melee and starts beating the shit out of every non-cobra guy <laughs> he comes yeah. across like selectively punching kids <laughs> yeah. And that was awesome. I like in the final battle. The final battle was actually really good. It was really good. Really good. It was like half the episode. It's teacher. The one teacher's like, can't someone go get a teacher? He's like, I'm not paid well enough for this. Walks away. (laughs) Actually, my fucking favorite part of that episode was those two little kids. Oh, the the little nerdy kids? Two like small kids like having their feud. Like, what? We have no idea. We've never seen these kids before. Like, why are they feuding? But they're suddenly like have a death feud. It's so fucking funny. And they're like, it came across like a video game. It did, yeah. Like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the Nest, like brawler, yeah. little eight bit yeah, brawler, the size, Cobra Scott Kai side brawler. brawler. And that's how the camera goes through it. It's like this whole school is brawling. That's not uh, how this is supposed to work. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty good last episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty it's good. funny because it was one of the most ridiculous things, but we just enjoy it. Oh for yeah, what it is. absolutely. Now uh, on the topic of fight scenes, yeah, that bar fight scene sucked, but like the Daniel Johnny fight sucked too. It was so shoehorned in. I felt yes. The thing about that fight, what I thought was it was honestly like overly safe to show that neither of them had like an inch above each other. Uh, uh, you could tell that it was like constant perfect blocks. Like, an equal amount of offense versus defense from either side when I watched it. 
And, like, it's a complete draw at the end of the fight. The fight isn't that long. It might be, like, no. 20, 30 seconds. Um, but you're right. It was, like, kind of shoehorned in there. It was, like, Johnny and Daniel need to have a skirmish. They need to have, like, a polite <laughs> gentleman's skirmish. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of a disappointment because that fight was in the trailer. And so, like, oh, really? a quarter of that fight was in one of the trailers. Yeah, because it wasn't oh, that long of a fight. That's stupid. Um, had they not shown it in the trailer, I think I would have been a little bit more jazzed to have hmm. seen it, even short as it was. I just felt like they've come so close to blows for a lot of other things. Right. That Daniel, the only reason Daniel was pissed was just because it was Johnny's house. If it was like another yeah. friend of, if it was like Sam's other friend's house that she was at, that he couldn't get a hold of her, I don't, he wouldn't be nearly as angry, right? Right. It was just like the combination of like, I guess it's supposed to be the juxtaposition between him finally having some common ground with, okay, I say finally, but again, finding common ground with Johnny and then suddenly being being like betrayed again, right? Right. And I guess I felt like Daniel's anger was irrational, that he was so irrational. Like, I understand why he would be concerned, but... Johnny was honestly pretty calm and Mm -hmm. trying to explain to Daniel. And I think most human beings would have enough sense to listen before going to literal blows. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like, I don't know what he was expecting. He like rolls up tracking her phone, sees Johnny's car and was automatically like, I'm going to kick this guy's ass. Like literally it was like, you've got to be kidding me, I think was his line. Like, what is he? Does he think Johnny picked up his daughter and is like brought her back home for the night? Like, what the fuck? Oh, yeah, is he exactly. Like, like does he really think that? And what it does, unfortunately, because it's so late in the season, you know, you see this this arc with Daniel's character where he more and more connects with Miyagi, and it's like he flushes that all down the yes. toilet in a moment. Because isn't that season? That's like the last episode that happens, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it just flushes Ugh. flushes that whole thing down the toilet. Everything that he's learned, and it's like, really, Daniel. Yeah. Then that means your arc went nowhere. Yeah, that's absolutely. So how am how in if season three they need to come together to fight Kreese, how are we supposed to buy that they can actually like work together in any type of capacity? Well, I mean, it really is only going to happen one way, which is uh, Johnny shows up at Daniel's house or dojo with his tail between the legs. He has nowhere to go. I'm guessing Miguel will join Johnny. I don't know how they're going to do it. I'm a little worried how they're going to do it. Hmm. You know, is it going to be rushed through? They should just kill Miguel, I guess. Like, isn't he paralyzed? He's I, fucked I think up. He might be. <laughs> they could kill I will. I bet you the writers are, he like, giving died, themselves an open door to kill him. Died off screen between season two and season three? They should just, you know what, just give, give Daniel's younger son, who is the most unnecessary of unnecessary characters on the show, that even the writers don't know what to do except send him to summer camp for yeah. the whole season. Right. That kid needs to just, like, randomly die off screen. Like, right. Yeah, well, I mean, he had, he would have had zero purpose. Like, there would be no reason to give him any more screen time than the he one had zero purpose in the first he, season, too. Well, well, I mean, I think we touched on it uh, when we talked about it, but in season one, I think he was supposed to be there to to just show the def- the defining lines of Daniel's relationship with him versus his relationship mm-hmm. with Sam. But again, like you said, like why is, why is Sam doing Miyagi dojo? Like yeah. she, she goes, she like signs up like for herself. Right. Right. Cause she's pissed at Miguel. Like, I don't, like you said, it would have been way better if she was trying to forge this connection with her dad. Like she had when she was younger. Exactly. Um, Cause really I got, I don't know what her motivation 
I mean, yeah, I guess she's in the Robbie, but like she's not doing it because she's in the Robbie at the very beginning of no. the season, right? Well, that was my whole point. She just kind of shows up to do it, to do it. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, we see a sign, we see a scene of her doing like practicing by herself, right? Practicing karate by herself, and then Daniel kind of walks in on her, and she's like almost like embarrassed. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I just I, I don't know. I think rushed is the ultimate descriptor for this season. It's so right. weird. Did they not expect that they would have to make a second? Like, at it, what point did they realize? Yes, we're making a season two. Like, well, it got. I mean, it got announced pretty early. I'm sure they weren't doing any sort of advanced plans until Karate Kid one or Cobra Kai season one actually became a huge hit. Right. And I think it was three or four days after they announced the season two. And you know, fans are like, "Oh, it, you know, it's, it's forever to wait a year." Well, when you have no firm writing done and you have to write film post-process and like get a series writer the ready that actually launched the second season launched a few weeks earlier than a year mm-hmm. from the first season because the first season was may and this oh, was april okay like that is rushed that's like yeah. in a way the definition yeah. of rushed totally and what i think ended up happening is that the writers basically picked and chose what to actually spend their true time on and they went with crease they I mean, they went with Kreese's story. Right. That's the overarching story. And then, unfortunately, a lot of the other characters fell by the wayside. Yeah. With limited well, to no development. I mean, they... Yeah, that, which is interesting because, like, as far as uh, a- antagonism for this season goes, like, Kreese's story could have been all of the... Like, between Kreese and Johnny could have been all of the antagonism. Because now it's almost like Johnny is, like, fighting on two fronts. He's, like, dealing with his... With Daniel, and now he's dealing with Crease. Or right, I mean, I know, yeah, he's he's kind of Crease like tricks him a little bit halfway through the season. Like it's like Crease and Johnny are like tight knit again. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know, I don't know. There I mean, are some it's... some parts that didn't need to be in there. No, and you know it's funny because when we started this segment, I said we we tear it apart, which we have spent the vast vast amount of time talking about <laughs> what we don't like. It was still a highly interesting season for me. I liked it almost as much as season one as far as enjoyment. I was, uh, I enjoyed every episode. I thought they were all fun. I binge watched it. I'm still super excited for season three. Yeah. But I would like a return to character development and just characters having meaningful things to do. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. With with a ten episode season, you should be able to have some character development. And for short episodes. Characters. Like 25 minute episodes or whatever. Yeah, I wish they could extend that, but. You know, I don't know. Because I feel like at times, I guess it depends on the episode, but a lot of the time you're like, okay, this was a this is a nice tight episode. Mm-hmm. And I think 25 minutes was like a perfect amount of time. Any, any, any longer might have had to have some filler. Right. And it also makes this way more bingeable. I mean, I was not anticipated. I was not like, I didn't plan to watch all of it in one sitting which I did on like a Thursday. I was up until like three or four <laughs> in the morning because I just couldn't stop watching it. So right. I think that is, that speaks for itself right there. I, like, I literally was like, okay, what's, but wait, well, I want to see what happens next. Like, I think that speaks for itself. Like the show is a solid yeah. show. It's really yeah. good and it, super entertaining. Super entertaining. I still recommend you watch it, listener. Yes, you will hear an actual hawk call anytime hawk I attacks someone. I love that. I did too. <laughs> it's like it's weird because that's one of the most ridiculous things to do in the show, <laughs> listener. So it when really a hawk is. fights, 
there is a random caw of a hawk <laughs> that always appears out of nowhere. Oh, yeah, it happens like two or three times. Two or three times. Caw! He, he kicks, he like breaks a board with a kick and it caws as soon as he hits <laughs> yeah. it. He drops from a tree on a dude and it caws. Like, that's <laughs> so fucking funny. It is funny. It's it's awesome. And again, he was one of maybe like the two or three characters that was really focused in on the season. Yeah. Um, I liked with him, you see that flashback to how much bullying hurt him. Yeah. And how really downtrodden. Down, yeah, he, he was, was downtrodden. As a, as a kid. So uh, inconsistent season, rushed, good action, still lots of fun. Come on, season three. Let's return to what we loved about season one. Yeah, return to form. Return of form. Especially now how like a, we have like a full power crease now. Yeah. Still recommended, right? You would recommend if listener finds this interesting to catch oh, yeah. up with both seasons. Uh, 100%. Yeah. And I mean, especially if you liked season one. Yeah. Now, for us, I would still maintain that this is a like a, a YouTube premium seller. Mm-hmm. And again, like we you had mentioned earlier in the episode, we're both biased because we watch a lot of YouTube stuff. Right. So I would have premium... Just for no ads, anyways. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know for the a regular person if this is worth signing up for YouTube Premium, right? Just to have it. No, I. Yeah, I don't. But would you pay eleven ninety nine to watch two seasons of this? I would, and I think what's good though is that um, the first two episodes are for free. Um, okay, so YouTube, they did that again the, with season two. Uh, well, the first episode of season two is free. Okay. But I mean, you can watch the first two seasons of episode one and see if you think you'd like the show. If you have watched that, you get to watch the first episode of season two and see where they're starting to go. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's that's good enough. And yeah, w- do I think watching the season's worth eleven ninety nine to get one month of YouTube premium? Sure. And then explore to see if you actually like YouTube premium and not having ads anywhere like I do. Yeah. So... Um, I mean, even though I hate to prop up YouTube, but I know <laughs> there's problems in that, but it's, no, it's, it's good listener. It's still good. And I'm, I'm still super excited for season three and you'll see me posting about it when news comes up and shit like that. Yeah, so. absolutely. And to right. show stuff and to show stuff. So if you like what we're doing, we've got show notes, we've got episode links, we have written content, we have social media links, all the ttpopcast.com. I've been Leland Steele. I've been Moby. Take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.